Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. John Summer is winding down here, you know. I mean, we're only a couple weeks from football getting started and... Keep our fingers crossed. Keep your fingers crossed. That's right. We can feel it in the air a little bit. I mean, it's gotten a little bit cooler this week. Um, it's gone from 95 to 92. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah it's, you're it's, it's like right, optimist, right, aren't you? Low 90s. I mean, it's, hey, I mean, for a Southern guy, this, this feels pretty good now. I mean, <laughs> relative yeah. to 95, 97, you know? So, uh, hey, everything's getting better, right? <laughs> um, that's the idea anyway. But, um, but yeah, we have we have some interesting topics to talk about, too. Um you know, we're going to revisit the fact that you're probably a bad investor. Oh, thank you. Unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, there's there's new articles come out all the time about this, just looking at stats of what the average investor does and studies. And uh, we have some new data that says the average investor out there on their own that's just, you know, picking stocks, trying to time the market, you know, doing their thing. Um, they make some terrible decisions and they end up lagging the market dramatically. Yeah, we run across this, unfortunately. Um, you know, we have these discussions. We do. And um, try do. to talk people out of doing crazy stuff, but um, sometimes they do. So we have to remind ourselves. Yes. That's, that's what right. we're going to do today. And then we're right. going to talk about how to take control of your finances. <laughs> yeah, this is from uh, Dave Ramsey. And uh, what should you do in a recession with your finances? Should you pay off debt? Should you keep investing? We'll kind of give you some things to do and some things not to do. And uh, we're certainly in the middle of a recession. I mean, it's... Uh, challenging year that's for sure it is it is so you know but it's moving on here it is. we're gonna get through this yep. fourth quarter we're gonna have a vaccine and we're gonna be yeah we're gonna <clears throat> things are gonna get better back I'm to normal confident like next year when carolina clemson play each other yeah there Again. you go there you go that would be fun we'll That'd have a new fun. we'll have a new streak yeah we'll have a different quarterback too fortunately for yeah. you guys yeah no doubt <laughs> so we'll see but, uh, but yeah, by the way, I'm uh, Steve Marvin. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 25 years' experience providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm a Dave Ramsey Certified Counselor. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 28 years. We're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, check out our website, moneymd.net. Uh, we have a lot of great uh, historical articles. Last week, we talked about the presidential election. A lot of people are asking questions. Go check that out. That's really, really good. A lot of good videos and uh, tools out on the website. We also have a Facebook page, MoneyMD, that we put a prescription of the week um, out there every single week. Yeah, and you can uh, link to us on our website. Send us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. Um, so yeah, send those to us. We're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, that has to do with, uh, investing. We're getting a lot of questions on, wow, gross stocks have done really well in the market. And, yep. um, you know, they're, they're really kind of by themselves. I mean, if you look at other parts of the market, small value, international, yeah. You know, they're kind of being left behind a little bit. Yeah, for us older timers, you know, like myself, um, you know, it feels a lot like like 1999 all over again. You yeah. know, 2000, I mean, where technology, growth stocks, I mean, you know, it's interesting how when people were sitting home for six months, you know, um, watching Netflix, going on Amazon, searching Google, um, you know, there's like five, six stocks that have just skyrocketed. And there are those stocks, actually, that make up a lot of the uh, large growth stocks. That's right. And so as a result, 
the the Nasdaq 100 is at a very expensive price now. The average PE ratio for the Nasdaq 100 is 69. So that's the price that you're paying for the earnings. Right. Historically, the market is in the 16, 17 16 range. Kind of depends. 20, right in there. Yeah. 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 So it's 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 very richly valued, but not every sector is like that. Yeah, the S&P 500 is about at 20 now and and but the so the overall large stocks but but the growth stocks have just exploded. You know, there's just few stocks that have just exploded in value and i don't know it can't last forever john yeah you should probably remind them about what happened to the nasdaq for what yes. like 13 years it took to recover from yeah it was their unbe- highs. so unbelievable nasdaq had an average p ratio of over 200 as i remember it back in 2000 and it crashed, lost about 70%, and it took about 13 years for it to get back yeah. above 5,000. No, we're not trying to predict the future. We don't know what's going to happen. But being diversified is has that's, proven historically to be wise. That's the key. It was the key back then in 2000 to avoid the tech bubble and the, the crash. And it's the key today. You don't want to chase those large growth stocks, you know. I mean, it's okay to have some in the portfolio, but don't absolutely. The, but they're already a part of the portfolio. They're already right. part of the S and P five hundred. Right. You don't need to overweight growth. Don't go chasing growth. Don't look at the Nasdaq index and say, "Wow, I want more of that. I'm going to chase that." And you know, why isn't everything doing that? Because that's very unusual. We're in a unusual period. It looks like bubble territory for a few stocks like that. Mm-hmm. So diversify. That is the key. That's the moral of the story. So good, good fact of the week. Which leads us right into why you're a bad investor. Well, unfortunately, <laughs> Thanks, it does. It Positive. does. That's right, John. I mean, this is based on an article um, from a few years ago from Investment News. Um, and you know, John, I mean, the average investor, unfortunately is terrible according to the latest, uh, you know, survey that's out by, um, QAIB, which is the quantitative investment analysis of investor behavior by Dalbar associates. Um, you know, I know you think you're better than average, but you know, probably not according to the recurring study, you know, this study that was out in, in this year in 2020 over the past 20 years, says the average stock investor in mutual funds made four and a quarter percent. Wow. That's it. Four and a quarter percent. That's all he made. Not very good. It just barely beat fixed income. And, you know, that's buying and selling everything they're doing. The S&P 500 also had a weak period, though. It only made six percent through 2019. But still, I mean, that means the average investor, though, is stinking pretty bad. I mean, they're they're lagging it by 30, more than 30 percent. So... You know, according to a Times article, 99.4% of fund managers show no evidence of picking stocks, their skill at picking stocks. Only 0.6%, less than 1% of managers outperform the index, <clears throat> and it was, which was statistically indistinguishable from zero. Yeah, right. There's So better than luck, you know, there was only like less than 1% that could do that. <clears throat> and it changes every year, so it's unpredictable. I mean, you know, of course, the last 20 years have been kind of weak for stocks compared to the long-term history. And, you know, that's one more reason why you can't afford to fall short when the market does deliver good results. Um, yet most investors do fall short over time. So, you know, some of the reasons why people fall short is uh, lack of patience and, um, you know, no discipline. And so, you know, many investors are moving in and out of the market far too often at the wrong times. 
and um, thinking they can time the mar- market because they have a feeling. <laughs> Those feelings right. create a lot of issues <clears throat> when you start talking about investing. And another problem is trying to select individual stocks, which is why the worst inve- investing counsel you'll likely ever receive is that you should try to pick good stocks and sell the bad ones. And you'll get this advice from one form or another from a lot of different sources. Um, you know, Some advisors do that, friends, colleagues, Wall Street, and the investment media, and you should ignore it. I mean, the price of the stock is based on all known information, and there are hundreds and thousands of different and you know it's variables that no one can predict. So you're, it's the house is going to win on that. Yeah, that's exactly right. You cannot you know outguess the market, and you know since the dawn of time, though, I mean there are a few great stock pickers and market timers that have been kind of revered. And, you know, even even most novices, you know, can, you know, proudly recite picks that they've had, you know, that have produced, you know, the monumental returns, you know, maybe they bought Amazon or Tesla, you know, and they'll talk about that and, you know, and they forget that they didn't sell it before it dropped again or something like that. So, you know, people have selective memories and, and they, they tend to to build it up in their mind that they're better than they are and, and they're not really honest with themselves. Unfortunately, you know, what is a smart or lucky on occasion often proves to kind of dumb over time. And in the end, most stock pickers do worse than they would have done had they never tried to pick stocks at all. Um, you know, despite snagging the occasional, you know, tin bagger, you know, you know, the um, even professional money, money fund, mutual fund managers um, that pick stocks. Um, they have a depressingly poor odds of beating the market, you know, once their losers and their costs are all taken into account. Um, and so here's one of the primary reasons, though. I mean, when you consider the facts from a, from a recent study of individual stock returns, that you find out that the odds are greatly against you if you're picking stocks. And, and here's the facts. 64% of stocks underperform the index over 25 years. 39% of stocks lost money and 19% lost 75% of their value over 25 years. Um, so, I mean, those are pretty amazing facts. Only 25% of stocks were responsible for all the positive gains in the market over this 25 year study wow. um, that ended back in 2007 of the market. So, I mean, it's just, it's pretty remarkable that. <clears throat> If you're picking stocks, you know, unless you get your share of those 25%, you're going to vastly underperform the market. You know, you need, with, with 10 or 20 stocks, your, your odds of getting your share of those amazing stocks that have shot up and doubled and tripled, you know, in one particular year are, are unlikely, you know. Um, so, you know, it's those kind of statistics that make every stock picking a very dangerous game, you know, since the odds are vastly against you. So if you're pursuing a stock picking strategy, you're almost certain to lag the market over time. The odds are just yeah. against you. Yeah, no doubt. The the problem for investors is, you know, they make it fun and sexy and they have all these charts and everything. And, you know, it's basically uh, entertainment um, in a lot of cases. And if you ever, um, you know, to wean yourself of this habit, the first step is, is to understand why it's so rarely successful to pick individual stocks. And the short answer is, the overall market provides most investment returns, not particular stock picks. So most stock pickers get credit for gains that came merely from, from being invested in stocks generally. And second, the competition among stock pickers is so intense that it's extraordinarily difficult 
for any one competitor to get a consistent edge. I mean, you know, you're 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 going against computers now in a lot of cases. They yeah. have this automated trading and uh you know, thinking you're going to beat all these professional investors, it just doesn't. That's not the way it works. Yeah, no, it doesn't. They have a lot more information than you do, and they're trading really, really fast. You know, and and, and uh, so that's a it's a whole different ball game. And so third, though, is you know, although plenty of the stocks that beat the market before cost, all else being equal, um, you'd you'd have about even odds of doing that, right? But you know, it's much harder to do so after cost. You know, even if you're picking stocks well enough to to boost your pre-cost return by a couple of points, you know, the expenses, you know, that you rack up along the way, you know, with, you know, research, trading, taxes, you know, the spreads when you're buying, selling stocks, even on the commission-free side, you know, where you're not paying any commissions anymore, um, the spreads and the taxes will eat you up over time. And it's almost always going to consume any excess gains that you have. Um, so, you know, you just got to recognize that it doesn't work very often. And most stock pickers, you know, they believe that, that they're among the tiny minority of investors who can beat the market after all the cost. And, you know, for inspiration and encouragement, you know, they point to legends such as Warren Buffett and Benjamin Graham, you know, and, you know, today's, you know, hedge fund managers and people that are out there. Um, but, you know, what such investors, they, they often don't realize is that even, even Buffett has said that this strategy, the best strategy for most investors is to buy a low-cost index fund, you know, and that, you know, the great Benjamin Graham, he eventually changed his mind about the wisdom of traditional stock picking, you know. Um, if you may remember that, you know, he's considered one of the greatest stock pickers of all time, the man who back in the 30s and 40s wrote two classic books on intelligent investing and his security analysis techniques are still taught in most investment classes today. Yeah, and back in 1976, before he passed away, Graham told the Journal of Finance the following. He's like, I'm no longer an advocate of elaborate techniques for security analysis in order to find superior value. And, um, you know, that was, um, he said that was a, re a rewarding activity many years ago, 40 years ago. So that would have been, in, you know, in the 30s and 40s. Um, so he, he published this book uh, called Security Analysis, but the situation has changed, he said. And this is back in the 70s. I doubt whether such extensive efforts will generate sufficiently superior selections to justify their costs. So, yeah, it can be very expensive to um, do individual stocks and then trying to get that 25%. That's, um, that's challenging. Yeah, that's right. So he concluded that, you know, by the 70s, you know, that it was no longer worthwhile, that there was enough information out there that people, markets were pretty efficient, you know, and they were pricing things in quicker than you could get an edge on the market. So, you know, and then when you look at, um, you know, the eight decades since Graham wrote security analysis, the stock market has gone from being kind of a playground for amateurs to a battlefield dominated by full-time professionals, you know, and one of the results is that pricing errors that once might have un gone unnoticed for months, you know, back in his day, are now discovered and exploited instantaneously. You know, there's arbitrage programs out there that are finding those errors, you know, and they're trading in milliseconds to, to, um, to, to, you know, trade that away and make money off of it. And, you know, and then there's also, you know, uh, the amount of information that's available um, even about the most obscure stocks today, they dwarf what was available back in the old days, you know, a half century ago. And that makes it a lot harder to dig up any information that investors don't already know. And, you know, that's not illegal to trade on, right? So short of insider information, you just can't get an edge on the market or anybody else out there. 
and the momentum, you know, the, the moment the information is released, um, you know, it's dissected, it's discussed, debated by thousands of analysts um, until even, you know, reasonable conclusions that can be drawn from it have already, all the reasonable conclusions have been priced into the market. You know, today's technology, you know, also allows even part-time investors to screen tens of thousands of stocks in dozens of markets um, in the time that it would have taken, you know, somebody back during the old days of Benjamin Graham, um, you know, would have taken them, you know, days to compute that kind of stuff for a single single company. So, you know, the, the information out there today just makes markets very yeah. efficient and fast. Instantaneous. Yeah, another reason here that uh, it, the stock picking doesn't work back like it did back in Graham's day was, you know, there used to be inside information, which was quite valuable, but obviously right. it's illegal to, to do that. So that's not uh, certainly not a, a, an advantage anymore. And the final reason that stock picking is, is not um, not the way it used to be is the establishment of a research center. Uh, it's called the Center for Research and Security Prices. It's allowed analysts to study markets and investing in ways that uh, Graham could have only dreamed of. And in doing so, they've assembled a body of knowledge that um, makes, you know, kind of makes the investment wisdom that he was using seem very primitive and unscientific. So again, the, you're, you're, you, when you're out there buying and selling stocks, you're competing against computers and millions of other people out in the, in the marketplace. Right, right. So it just, just doesn't work over time. That's what's been proven. So what does the average investor, you know, do to achieve a decent return? Well, the answer is, you know, you want to follow a, a and a, a diversified approach um, into many different asset classes, you know, and you want to rebalance that allocation. Um, you want to weight your portfolio toward asset classes that have proven to give higher returns over time. Um, and, you know, you want to you want to develop a strategy, follow a strategy that's been proven over time um, so that you don't need to try to time the market. You don't need to try to pick individual stocks. Um and you want to weight asset classes that have have shown to be more consistent over time and lower your risk, you know. And that means that using mutual funds, a diversified portfolio like small stocks, value stocks, high profitability stocks, um, you know, those are some of the asset classes you want to use in your portfolio. Um, and that's what academic research has proven is an effective way to invest over time. So, you know, as we mentioned in the, <clears throat> in the uh, financial fact of the week, you want to avoid chasing the hot stocks and asset classes out there you don't want to chase technology you don't want to chase you know growth stocks just because they've done well this year or you know in the past several years you want to stay diversified have a disciplined strategy stick to that strategy focus on your long-term goals don't chase any particular stock out there that's you know out there just you know quadrupling because it won't last forever. Eventually, you're going to get burned doing that. It's just impossible to do over time. So that's the moral of the story here. And that leads us up here to the question of the week. Yeah, this is a, a good question. And we have this conversation and, and help clients with this. But uh, should I be more aggressive in my pre-tax money, like let's say an IRA, or my after-tax money, like a Roth? So let me use an example. Let's say uh, you, have, you want to be 80% in the market. And let's say you have a Roth account for $10,000. Let's put that 100% in the market and let's make the IRA 60%. So you're averaged 80%. But, right. you know, if the markets do what they've done historically, that Roth account money, which is after tax, will grow faster than your pre-tax money. 
So maybe you have 20,000 in the Roth after the time period and you have 15,000 in the IRA. Right. You've grown your after tax more, but you've still kept your allocation where you wanted. So yeah, you should have different. Yeah, you should. You should. It's I an generally, opportunity. Yeah, I like to get people to think about, you know, when would you use that money? Yeah. You know, what's your time horizon on the money? And, and for after-tax money, it's usually shorter than it is for pre-tax money. You know, people tend to want to spend their after-tax first because you, you can get it without taxes, right? And you might use it to take a trip or to buy a new car. Um, so that would kind of dictate that you want to be more more conservative yeah. depends, with your after-tax yeah. money. Yeah, but it, it just depends on what your goals are. Yeah. Yeah. So good question of the week. And that leads us up here to our next topic, and that is... Taking control of your finances. Yeah, this is from the Ramsey organization, and uh, it's official. I mean, we're we're uh, you know we're in a recession. The National Bureau of Economic Research says that after 128 months, which is over 10 years, the longest streak of economic growth uh, peaked back in February, and since then, the economy has been at the mercy of the COVID-19 and uh, has st- steadily tanked in March, April, and May. And uh, after all the talk, guesses, and you know, and the signs that it was looming, the recession recession finally has happened to the economic strain uh, from the pandemic. So, so now what? So, what do you do? Um, and recession or not, there's no time like the present to take control of your money. I mean, if you're living through a uh, pandemic, wasn't enough to to light a fire under you to make some changes in your in your situation, this recession will probably help send the message home. So you got to have a plan for your money. And so before we kind of dive into the the, diff- the details, what is a recession? Yeah, I mean, you know, we knew we were in a recession long before the numbers came out this yeah. past week, right? Um, yeah, I mean, a recession is just, if we t- go back to economics class, a recession is basically just what happens when there's a slump in the growth and economic activity that lasts for at least two quarters or about six months. And, you know, although we haven't gone through six months of the fallout from the virus yet, I mean, we're, we're close. Um, you know, it's been painful enough and they've already, you know, called it on this one basically because we we have had two quarters of negative GDP now, you know, and that's, that's, that defines a recession. So clearly, we are in a recession. Yeah. Uh, I don't think there's any question about that. No, no, no <laughs> doubt. And, and while being in the middle of a recession is never you know, really good news, there's still a lot of good work that you can do in your own personal finances, um, despite you know what's happening in the economy or what Wall Street is doing. So at the end of the day, you're in control of what's happening in your house. And, and uh, that's good news that you're in control of that. So when you've got your money in a good place, you don't have to live at the mercy of what the economy is doing. So the first question is, is should you continue to pay off debt during a recession? And, you know, if you still have a job, absolutely. The only time you should take a break uh, is when you have some serious stuff going on. Maybe uh, you're expecting a, a child or you've lost your job. You call that storm mode and, and uh, where you're heading is maybe uncharted waters. So you want to hold on to the cash in that situation. But a recession isn't necessarily a storm. So you still want to continue to pay off debt and that's baby step two uh in the in the ramsey world so instead use this for even more motivation of how you want to cut debt and get it out of your life so think about the peace of mind that you would feel if you didn't have any debt in the middle of this recession we know people that do and you know it's a different it's a different feeling right some people are mortgage free and it's a different feeling so how awesome would it be to be in that place where you could invest and you know, you had the ability to make some huge returns when the economy swings back. So that's the thing about debt. It robs your future. It keeps you stuck in a rut, paying for the past. So don't waste any more time, you know, get to paying off that debt. That's baby step number two. 
Yeah, that's right. Next question is, should you keep saving during recession? Um, short answer is yes. <laughs> you know, I mean, having a savings goal is never a bad idea during a recession. <clears throat> you know, obviously, if you don't have the money, you know, the cash flow to do that, if you're, you know, been furloughed or something's happened to your income, obviously you wouldn't be able to save. But if you can, by all means, you want to save during recession. It's a great time to save if you can. Um, so if you have a Christmas sinking fund, you know, keep that in full force. <clears throat> um, you know, if you're in the middle of, you know, saving your emergency fund, stick with that. And if you're in the middle of a recession and, you know, there, there's, um, you know, you have other things that you're saving for, by all means, keep the money going, you know, and get money going to investments. Market's down, uh, you know, overall. And so it's a good time to be putting money into your investments. Yeah. So baby step one is that $1,000 that Dave talks about. Um, then baby step two is paying off the debt. And then baby step three is to fill that emergency fund up with three to six months worth of expenses. And again, we, we know folks in, in both both situations that have no emergency fund, and have lost jobs and it's very stressful. So you got to have that emergency fund to protect you from life. And you just answered the next question, Steve, should you continue investing during a recession? And the, and the answer is yes. Okay. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to jump That's ahead okay, here. Man. I know you're excited about it. You, <laughs> you might be tempted to pull your investments during a recession because markets usually drop and they did <laughs> drop. Um, but don't do that. There's no denying it. You know, recession is difficult downturn in the economy. We all feel like, uh, it, you know, it's never going to return. Um, but if you keep investing during a recession, you're bound to reap some of the benefits when the economy does bounce back in the markets, what they, what they have done and what they do historically is they look ahead. That's why the markets have, you know, four months in a row, the markets are up, right. um, even with not, you know, super news with, with what's going on in the pandemic. So That's right. yeah, you gotta, you gotta, you know, continue to invest. Yeah, that's right. History shows us that, you know, it's. I mean, this happens time and time again, and, and it happened after the Great Depression and after the recession in 2008, even 9-11. I mean, the economy will bounce back again. But, you know, here's the thing. I mean, any losses that you might see during a recession wouldn't even impact you unless you were taking money out of your accounts. So as long as you have time to let it ride out, let it recover then you can you can keep the money going in and you don't need to worry about the downturns. Use that as an opportunity to put more in, you know, rebalance your accounts when they're down. Um, you know, and if you did get scared and stopped investing when things were shaky, you know, then you never see the gains of those investments when they bounce back. So use this as an opportunity. Think of it as a positive thing to get more money in to rebalance and your bond shares when they're low, you're buying more shares when the market's down, but by all means, keep investing. Yeah, so the moral of the story is stay calm, stay level-headed, um, stay on the investing roller coasters. what markets do. You got to have a plan, you know, you got to have a process, uh, write it out over time. You, you really got to have that retirement plan is going to keep you focused. When we do retirement planning, we build in um, we build in negative years. It's part of the process and the playbook doesn't really change when the, when the financials do what they're doing right now, the markets, uh, the reasons are always different, but we look back historically, Steve, and we, we see, uh, we see these, these negative years. And yep. uh, as long as you have a plan and a process, uh, you can turn off the news. You, you just don't, don't need to look at it daily. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, and, um, and I mean, there's some positive news out there too. I mean, you know, when you start looking at where we're at in the economy and, the pandemic. I mean, there's certainly some signs that, you know, things are going to improve quickly when they do, yeah. whenever we do get a vaccine. And, and every day I'm reading an article about a vaccine somewhere around the world. 
You know, yeah. there's, and, and the, the neat thing is, as we've talked about this, the uh, Operation Warp Speed, which is the government's program, they are investing billions of dollars with multiple companies and, and securing vaccines. And right. so hundreds They're already, of millions. already producing it, right? Yeah, Even they before are. it's been, been totally approved. So I, I do. I mean, I personally feel like by the end of the year, we'll have the vaccine of choice and uh, they'll be producing it. And there'll be some people that will already have taken it. Yep. And I think once that happens, you know, people are going to start traveling again yep. and we're going to see the economy really take off in a lot of areas like that. So it's going to be pretty exciting when that happens. All right. Well, good topic. And that leads us up here to our last thing. And that is the prescription of the week. You know, a lot of people are doing home remodels. Yeah, I've, I've noticed that. I've got some friends that are uh, in the construction business. And I mean, what else are you going to do? People aren't traveling. Right. 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 I mean, we've cleaned out our house. So we, we take our, our garbage to the dump. And it seems like everybody else is doing that. So, yeah. you know, so when you do that, consider, um, you know, actually subbing out the individual pieces of the project. Um, it's a little bit more work. Uh, you can certainly hire a contractor to do that for you. Yeah. Uh, you may be able to save some of the money if you can do some of the work yourself. Tile work, I think you you did that. You yeah, know, I did all the flooring in my addition, you know, and I mean, you save a ton of money by doing it yourself. I mean, obviously, you got to have some skills to do that and time take the, at least take the time to learn. But, um, yeah, you can save a bunch of money if you can do some of it yourself. I'm a big proponent of that. If you subcontract it out yourself, you might save 10 to 20% by doing that. Um, so uh, now you may pay more on subs. So you got to be kind of careful. You got to yeah. do your homework. Um, but that allows you to do some of the work yourself, too. So you can save a lot of money. You know, if you got the time and yeah. you got a little bit of, you know, skills you can put into and it. And there's there's some great contractors out there. Some people are like, I don't want to mess with any of that. I want someone to handle everything. Yeah. And I uh, just recommend if you do that, just um, interview maybe three uh, contractors and get some bids and, and uh, ask for references and so forth and, and make sure you get a good fit for what you're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Good Good uh, prescription of the week. And that brings us to a close for this week's edition of MoneyMD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check us out on our website, moneymd.net. You can link to us there. Send us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. And you can call us at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. 